we've been studying based on 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which Paul says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved faithful, uh, say, uh, holy until the day of the Lord. We're looking at that, that, that the Word of God says that, that we're made up of three parts. And we've talked about you know, why this is important to understand this. And I've gotten a lot of very good feedback because either we've never learned this before because we have a lot of people that are, that are relatively new and never heard this before, or we've known this for years and just need to be reminded of it. And even if you got it down pat, I need to hear this. So you can just listen in, okay, while I talk to myself. And, and, and we talked about the fact that, you know, uh, I've bought some uh, filing cabinets and things like that, and, you know, the, and they all come so you've got to put them together nowadays. And, and they come with an instruction sheet of how to do that. And the good ones will have at the back of it this blow-up of whatever it is you bought and you've got to put together. And you've got to get, you know, you know, panel C with wing nut G stuck in hole A, you know, and, you know, get it going. But the, when you've got the one with the blow-up picture, you can see what the thing looks like and where it's supposed to go. And it helps you to put the cabinet or whatever it is together. Well, you don't have to put yourself together. God put you together. But in terms of cooperating with Him, it helps to understand what the different parts of us are, what their purpose is, and, what, and how to cooperate with them. So we've learned that we are made up of three parts. Some people believe two parts, but we've talked about why, why it's three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. We've talked about the fact that there are two realms of existence. There's a natural, physical, material realm, which is what the Bible is talking about in Genesis chapter 1, when it says in the beginning, the beginning of this natural, material realm of existence. And this realm of existence is made up of things that any one, one or more of your five senses can detect. So if you can see it, if you can hear it, if you smell it, taste it, or touch it, if you can do one or more of those things and it exists, then it is of this natural material realm. So we right away discovered that one part of us, our body, comes from that realm because we can do all five of those things. We can see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, touch it, and see it. So that is this, this material realm. Then we discovered there's another part of you called your spirit, and that's of another realm of existence called the spirit realm. We have a chart on the board that shows you that the spirit realm is very different than the natural material realm. The material realm has a beginning and has an end. It, is in, it exists in time. It is in the process of decaying, of changing, and that change, especially since the world is under the curse that was released by Adam's sin in Genesis chapter 3, that curse is, is affecting this earth. And if you notice, it's, the Bible talks about groanings, well, it's groaning. <laughs> and when it groans, it groans loudly. So the, the earth is just groaning. It's aching, and it's expressing that groaning and aching. It's the weight of sin. And the, so the Bible talks about that, but there's a, the spirit realm is an eternal realm. It's the realm that existed before time. It is outside of time. It has no beginning. It has no end. And it's the realm where God exists. God is spirit, John chapter 4 says. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And what the, the, the inner part of you, what the Bible refers to as the inner man in most cases, is your spirit being. It's what makes up your nature. And so we discovered that there's this problem because our inner nature comes from the spirit realm. And when you're born again, that's born out of God. 
that's born of God. So your new nature that's on the inside of you is literally God's own nature born in you. That's what it means to be born again. It's not just again a second time, but the word literally means also from above. So you're born again, you're born from above, you're, you're, you're God's child, you're born in you. But the problem or described is that the very nature of these two realms of existence is they cannot naturally come in contact with each other. Or they can come in contact with each other, but they can't detect that contact. Because if, you're, if you can only with your five senses detect the natural material realm and a spirit being such as an angel or demon they're not of this realm by very definition you can't see them feel them smell them taste them or hear them naturally now if something supernatural happens then that either allows your one or more of your senses to detect into that realm see into that realm or somehow allows that realm to make contact with you but in the natural normal course of events you can't have contact with it. So there's a problem we saw. If my inner man is from that spirit realm and my outer man is from this material realm and they can have no natural contact with each other, then how in the world are they going to get along and communicate with each other? And so God thought of an answer. He gave us a third part called our soul, made of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And we have a, had a chart we showed up and we saw that that's the bridge that communicates, that bridges that gap between the part of you that's in the spirit realm and the part of you that's in the natural material realm. It's kind of like it's in the role of the priest in the Old Testament or Moses in the Old Testament. It's a mediator between God and man. And so it helps to communicate the will of God into man. And then we saw that this, the same model is kind of there in the, in, the, in the Trinity because in the Trinity, God is made up of three different persons. They're all God, but they're three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And those three different parts of God have three different functions and three different levels of authority. We saw that God, the Father, is the one who wills. Everything is the carrying out of His will. But my, our Father, who our Father, who art in heaven. And this was revealed to us by the Son. So the Son taught us to pray to our Father, who's in heaven, the first person of the Godhead. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And Jesus says over and over again, I didn't come to do my will, but I came to do the will of my Father. So it's His will that's carried out. We saw that the second person of the Godhead, who was in this earth, was the Son of the earth, which is Jesus. His his, he was the one responsible for the will of God being carried out. And the third part of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, and He is the physical agent, the active one, that actually carries out the will of the Father overseen by the Son. Then we brought that over to the three parts that are you. And we saw that the way God designed us at first was the inner part is the spirit man. And the first man that God made and woman had the spirit of God. It was alive unto God and had direct fellowship and communion with God. And, that the, and, and, and they had a body to carry out the will of God and they were given a soul and the purpose of the soul was to find out what the will of the Father was and instruct the body what to do with it to actually carry it out. The body was like the Holy Spirit. He's the agent to physically... So you, you may, there are people that are sitting home tonight that may have decided to come here, but they're not here because they didn't get their body up, get in a car, and get here. So good intentions are great, but it's only when you act on those and your body is the one that you needed to use to get here. 
And so we see these same parts. Now, that's how God designed us. Then we saw in, Act, in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent, when he comes in, we saw that that Satan took the form of a serpent, was the most cunning of all of them, came in to deceive the woman. And his goal was to get her to elevate her mind over her spirit. Because God said, of any tree of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in the middle of the garden. You can't. So God didn't explain it to them. He didn't give them a teaching on, on, on the principles behind it. He didn't explain what his motive was or his goal was. He just said, thou shalt not. So all he was doing was giving them a commandment, and all he required was obedience. And the serpent came in, and instead of dealing with the commandment, his temptation is to get her to defend God's commandment to Satan. God didn't tell them to defend him, and he's not telling you and me to defend him either. What he wants us to do is obey him. If we obey him, he's able to take care of things. And so we saw that, that the purpose, he's, he's a deceiver. We saw that a deceiver is never after what it appears he's after. So a, a con artist, they don't tell you ahead of time, I'm coming to steal your life savings. They approach you and say, I'm coming to give you something. I'm coming to give you something you don't have. I got this great investment for you. There's this wonderful land up in Alaska. They've just found oil on it. And if you want to buy that one, I got a bridge in Brooklyn. <laughs> so what they want to do is they come to you to convince you they're going to give you something, but their real motive is to distract you. So what you think they're about is not what they're about. What they're really about is something other than they appear to be about. That's the essence of a of deceiver, and that's what's in this word cunning, saying the serpent was more cunning. So what he came to do with her was not what he was after, was not what he appeared to be after. So what he appeared to be doing was trying to give her something that God didn't give her, to elevate them to a place that he said God was keeping from them because he said he want, God was keeping from you the knowledge that would make you like him, and yet the Bible says he's earlier God made them in his image. They were already like him, so he's, he's not after that. He's not trying to improve their situation. What he's trying to do is to get them to commit the same thing he'd done. We talked about that in another study we have last year. He was elevated his own mind and his own will and his own soul above the authority of God. And that's what he wanted her to do. And we saw that ever since then, fallen man has lived with his mind apparently in control. We saw that that's really an illusion. Because the way your mind is designed, it cannot rule. Your mind is not capable of ruling. All your mind is capable of is, take, is following, carrying out the will of one of the two parts of you that it's going to serve. So it's either serving your spirit man, the way God originally made us, to carry out the will and, and instruct the body what to do, or if it's not doing that, it's serving the flesh and figuring out how to carry out its will. And you all know exactly what I'm talking about if you've ever dieted or you've ever determined to get up early and pray or worship God, you will find that your mind will work overtime telling you why you shouldn't do that. 
You'll find your mind, when you determine that you're not going to eat sweets for a while, your mind will figure out all kinds, your mind will figure out all kinds of ways to talk your will into doing what your flesh wants to do. So your mind can't serve itself. Your mind is either serving your spirit or your flesh because God made it to serve. serve. So the illusion is, you know, I'm a self-made man. No, I'm a man that learned how to fulfill what I wanted to do. And we saw that in Ephesians 4, we saw what the Scripture says, that the world is like that, the Gentiles are like that, because it says that they're living in the futility of their mind. In fact, let's go look there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Thus I say, therefore, and testify to the Lord that you no longer walk as the rest, or the most came translation say, the Gentiles walk. Those are people that do not have a covenant relationship with God. And they're walking in the futility. Futility means can't produce results. Vain, empty, purposeless, powerless. In the futility of of their mind, having their understanding darkened. Why? Because they're alienated, separated, unplugged from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That doesn't mean they don't have knowledge. It's ignorance of God. The ignorance that is in them because of the, bl- whoops, the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness or lasciviousness. That means they're without any restraint. They can't control themselves to work all uncleanliness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, is in the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This was the condition into which you were born. Found yourself. When you reached the age of accountability and you were that sweet little two, three, or four-year-old, we have four grandkids and they're all sweet. Of course, one of them is 16. And, and, you know, it should be 17 tomorrow, right? Wow. So we, but the rest of them are, are, really, are really young and cute and, you know, sweet and, you know, like that. Until you tell them to do something they don't want to do. And they're good kids, but there comes a point where They want to do what they want to do. The Bible talks about applying the rod of correction to save your child from hell. That means there's hell in them. That's not in their soul. That's not in their spirit. It's in their flesh. And when they reach that age of accountability where they know right from wrong, and I told you last time, that they'll tell you when that is. I remember when our youngest kids, because we weren't saved when the oldest ones were going through that stage, but the youngest ones, they were twins. And I said, God, how do I know when they're old enough to discipline? And he said, you'll know, they'll teach you. And I told you the story Sunday about one of them sitting outside the refrigerator. And he's looking at me, and he goes to put his hand under the refrigerator. And I said, no. I didn't say, honey, please don't do that. I said, No. Because you see, when they're going to stick their hands somewhere, you don't want to, they don't need to understand why. They just need to, you're, you're, let's go on the side, let's take this little rabbit path today. 
Your children need to learn to do what you say because you say so first. God taught me so many things through that, through these kids. I remember, because he taught me that. He says, they need to learn when you say no, they don't do it. They don't need to know why. You don't need to ask please. They need to know because dad says so and mom says so. That's all the knowledge they need to have. And one day when we were living in Oklahoma, they were riding their big wheels down the, you know, the, the driveway, and one of them headed down to go out on the street. I didn't have time to pull them aside and say, son, because there was a car coming around the corner. I didn't have time to say, son, when this is over, I'm going to explain to you why I don't want you to do that, because I wouldn't have had the opportunity. I saw that car coming. I saw him headed to the street. I didn't explain anything. I just yelled, no, stop. And he, but he didn't learn to do that then. He learned to do that in the, in the, in the kitchen when he went to put the hand under the refrigerator. And I said, no. It changed the tone of my voice. There's times I'm daddy and there's times I'm father. Hand under the refrigerator, I'm father. Sit in my lap, I'm daddy. Hands under the I said, no. Don't put your hand under there. And he pulled it back. So he heard me. Then he looked at me again. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, this is your opportunity to teach him whether you mean what you say. If you act now, you'll teach him you do mean what you say. If you don't act now, you'll teach him you don't mean what... You're going to teach him one or the other. So when I yelled no, headed into the street, the reason they stopped then is because I acted when the hand went down. And it's a cute child. I got a picture in my phone to show you about that really cute, you know. Look at me, I just melted his hair. <laughs> Can I get away with something? It's in the flesh. It's still in yours. It's still in mine. We saw that when we're born again, what happens is God puts us back in that right order. He puts us back in a place because now we are not like what we just read. Our spirit man is connected to God. And the life of God is flowing back and forth. And so we're now put in the, back in the right order. So we have the ability now to obey the dictates of the spirit. But the problem is this. The only part of you God changed when you were born again was the spirit man. Have you noticed it's still the same body? When people come forward to receive the Lord, one of the, I'll often tell them that what's going to happen is God's going to come inside of you. He's going to come and live inside of you. But when we're done, your hair's the same color and you don't have any more of it. Your eyes are the same color. Your skin's the same because the change is on the inside. Now, as you walk with Him, He'll bring that change to the outside. But it starts on the inside. But the other problem then is there's still two-thirds of us that are like we were before God came to live inside of us. And those two parts are our responsibility. So turn with me to, he, to Romans chapter 12.
Now, when I teach this course, in, when I taught this course in the School of Ministry, I would literally spend two hours summarizing chapters 1 through 11. And the reason I would do this is because the first word in chapter, well, the second word in chapter 12 is, I beseech, excuse me, the fourth word, I beseech you therefore, brethren. The therefore is referring to everything he's just said which ends with the mercies of God. I, I appeal to you based on what... It's all talking about what God's done for us and the mercy that God's had for us and all that God's done. I've taught you before that most of, many of Paul's letters, not all of them, many of Paul's letters have a dividing line somewhere around the middle where he starts out by talking about this is what God's done for you. This is who he's made you to be. This is what he's given to you. Last week, we put on the board up here, we put on the, on the screen up here, a whole list of things. Remember on the left side? Those were all just what's in Ephesians chapter 1. And it filled the whole left side of that, of things God has done for you. Well, that's what Paul does here. The first 11 chapters talk about what God has saved us by grace, the mercy that he's had upon us, and all the things that God, these things that God has done to us. Now it ends with just he gets in this rapture about the mercy of, oh, the unsearchableness of his ways and of his mercy. Paul just gets raptured, caught up in this, um, this ecstasy, looking back on what God has done for us. And then he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies that God's had for us. And now he shifts over to our responsibility. And he talks about the other two part of it, parts of us. Those you present your bodies. Now what part is that? This is not a trick question. That's your body. It's from the material realm that we present our bodies. Whose body is it? It's my body. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I, don't, I didn't get them have the slides ready for tonight. But there's a slide we showed up there. The way you get all those things God's put in you, all the blessings, all the part that God has put in you in the salvation that you received, the reason you're not, it's not experiencing it all is it's in here. Why is it not showing up on the outside more in all of our lives? Because it's got to go from the inside to the outside and that process, Paul says, is by the renewing of your mind. I've shared with you before that the word, when he says do not be conformed, that word is a Greek word, synchimatiza, which literally means to be pressed in a mold so that you are, the form that you have on the outside resembles the mold that's pressured you. So if you pull out a coin, I don't think I brought one with me tonight, if you pull out a quarter, you'll find that there's a, there's a symbol embossed on that whether it's an eagle or whatever it is nowadays. And that, that didn't come there because somebody painted it on. It came there because that piece of metal was put in a mint under a extreme pressure that took the, ends, the, 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 the negative of the mold and forced it down on the outside so that the outside of that coin now looks like the inside of that mold. It doesn't change the nature of the coin. It just changes what it looks like on the outside. And that's what this word means. And it's referring to the systems of the world. If you don't do what he's talking about, the systems of the world will put such pressure on you that you'll begin to look like and talk like and act like the world likes, even though God lives inside of you. See, the devil would have done anything he could to stop you from getting saved, from God to come live inside of you. But, but that shows you how powerful he is. If that's the one thing he would have stopped, if he could have stopped it, and he couldn't stop that, could he? 
But now that God's alive inside of you, the next round, the next defensive line for him is to make sure you can't affect anybody else with what God's done inside of you. So what he wants to do is keep such pressure on you through the world and through your life and through circumstances to press you so hard that you think and talk and act like the world does. So when they see you, they don't see any difference between you and anybody else. Jesus told his disciples to be the opposite. In Acts chapter 1, he, 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 he told them that they're to wait in Jerusalem until they're endued with power from on high, and then they'll be equipped to not go out and witness, not that there's anything wrong with that, but they'll be equipped to be his witnesses. That's like saying we're going to take this coin and equip it to be a quarter. The difference is, it says, and be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind. Notice it's not the reverse of conformed. It's a different Greek word. The word metamorphomai, which literally, which you often hear, you know, is to transform or to change. But I've dug deeper into the meaning of that as I've studied the Greek. And it means more than that. It means to take the nature that's on the inside and bring it so that it's apparent on the outside. In other words, take all that's on the left-hand side of that list we showed you last week. All that Ephesians says God did in you and made you to be. It's all past tense. We looked at that last week. It's nothing God's going to do for you. It's what God has done for you. He has made you his son and daughter. He has made you the righteousness of God in Christ. He has done these things for you. He has put his spirit inside of you. He has done these things. Past tense. In fact, actually in the Greek, it's it's perfect, which means it was done once with an effect that goes on. And we are to be transformed. We are to take what's on the inside and allow that to come and work its way to the outside so others can see what God's done on the inside. And when that happens, you truly are His witness. Because the word witness means when I see you, I see who you're the witness of. God doesn't mind you telling people, oh, he doesn't want that either. I mean, the devil doesn't mind that. But, but he'd much rather have you telling people than being. Because he'd like to have you tell people and then live the opposite. Because then you undermine what you've told them. So you're, you're telling everybody at work, you know, I belong to Jesus, I do this, and yet you're acting like them and talking like them, and they say, well, you know, why should I belong to Jesus? Because you're no different than I am. They ought to see a difference and ask you what it is. And I shared some testimonies in my life from that. And so that's what this verse means. Now notice what's important here. That you may do something. That you may prove something. So what's involved here is more than just you, whether you experience all that God's put in you. What's involved with you is God wants to prove something. Because it says that you may prove. Now, I'm a formal lawyer. I understand what proof means. Proof means you're trying to convince somebody else of what your position is. And when you do that, the only acceptable way to do that in court is with something called evidence. So we're going to imagine there's a courtroom, and it's not literally, but, it's a, but God's clearly want to prove something. That God wants to prove something 
Let's go to what keeps your finger here, something here. Let's go look in Ephesians. I'm going to have to remember where this one is. So give me a moment here. Yeah. So look, all right. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect. That means complete will of God. All right, keep something there and go over now to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 8. To me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given. So Paul's talking about the ministry that was given him, that I should preach among the Gentiles, that's the people that had no covenant with God, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see so he's, he's revealing something to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent so this is the purpose of why God's revealing this now to the intent that now the manifold that means many-sided varied vari- variety um, the many-sided wisdom of God may might be made now known by, that word in Greek means through, the church, that's you and me, to whom? The principalities and powers in heavenly places. So apparently, God wants to prove something, not to your neighbor, I mean He does, but to principalities and powers, spiritual beings in heavenly places, and He's going to prove it through the church. Now, what does God possibly have anything to prove? What could God have to prove to beings He created? I mean, He's not trying to impress anybody. Is He going to try to prove to them how powerful He is? He doesn't have to do that. They saw one-third of them rebel and saw how long that lasted. Sometimes it's referred to a war in heaven and was the fastest war that ever happened. Because Jesus said, I saw Him fall like lightning from the sky when they were impressed in, in, in Luke chapter uh, 10. He said they came back, the disciples came back because Jesus sent them out to, to pray for the sick and, and, to, and to heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead. And they came back and said, Lord, Lord, guess what? It works. They were astonished that he wasn't because he saw it work. He said, even the demons are subject to us. In your name. That's the important part. And Jesus said, oh, that's, that's cool. <laughs> he says, and that's good to rejoice in that. He says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that impressed because I saw their leader stand up against my father and I saw how long that lasted. Like a bowl of lightning. He says, rejoice instead in this, that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what's he talking about here? So God's, God doesn't have to prove how powerful he is. Who's, gonna, who's he got to prove it to? But there's something he's proving. What could God be proving that they wouldn't understand? He's proving what his love and mercy can do in someone like you. He's proving what he can do with someone like you and someone like me. Someone who doesn't have it all together. Someone he's pulled out of sin. Someone who's not 
as smart as the angels and not as smart as God. Somebody who doesn't have it all together, who just comes and is willing to let God work in your life. He's proving what his mercy and grace can do in earthen vessels. Paul had to learn that lesson because Paul was smart, he was strong. We talked about him a little bit on Sunday. Paul got himself into a situation or found himself in a situation where he was being buffeted by a messenger from Satan. I'm not going to get into what it is. Some people think it was sickness and disease, but he tells you what it was. He tells you it was a messenger from Satan and he talks about the persecutions and the trials that he went through simply because he was being opposed in the preaching of the gospel. And he wasn't being posed by protesters. They threw him in jail. They stoned him once he was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He tells you some of the momentary light afflictions he calls that he went through. He talks about those things. You know, you can get discouraged after a while. Am I the only one that's ever gotten discouraged? Come on. And Paul got discouraged. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It said he despaired even of his life. So apparently Paul cried out to God three times, would you get this guy off my back? Move him away from me. And Paul, God's answer to Paul is, my grace is sufficient, not insufficient, sufficient. He didn't say no, he just says, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, I got it now. I got it. He says, I found out now that in my weakness, his grace is made perfect. So I'll rather now learn to glory in my weaknesses. In other words, I don't have to have it all together. I need to do my best, do what I'm supposed to do. But when I fall short, there's not a shame in that. God's grace takes over and makes up the difference in me. And after all, God's not proving to the principalities and powers how smart His church is, how strong His church is. He's proving what He can do in earthen vessels. So be encouraged tonight. However, let's go back now to Romans 12. That doesn't happen just because you sit around eating popcorn, and watching TV. The way the will of God is proved is when that will of God is developing in you to the extent that it begins to show up on the outside and then God begins to use you to prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So what you do with what God's put in you is not just determined how blessed you are. It determines to what extent God is able to prove His nature and His will and His character and His grace to others who can't see, haven't seen that yet. That's what's at stake in you. And the key here, everything hinges on is Paul says this happens... Not through prayer, although prayer is important. It happens through the renewing of your mind. Not the removing of it. Some people, they read renew, but they practice remove. The renewing of your mind. So although we've seen now that God, by the Holy Spirit, came inside of us, changed our nature, birthed his own nature in us, reversed us back to where the first man and woman were so that the spirit in them can be an ascendancy. Have you noticed there's a battle that goes on? Just because God's in you doesn't mean he automatically rules you. Because the other two parts of you didn't change. 
They're your responsibility and my responsibility to present my body a living sacrifice. Here I am to serve you. (laughs) Now, don't tell anybody else. This is a secret, okay? Because if it gets out of here, people will talk bad about us. That means doing things for God. Don't tell anybody. That means actually serving Him, doing things. Not just coming to church. Not just praising Him and worshiping Him and doing those, you know, lifting our hands and not just, you know, worshiping Him with our ties, although that's doing something, not giving all. That's good. But it actually means taking your body and doing something for God with it. And it's easy to tell when you're doing it because you look and see your body doing something. See, right now your body's sitting. We just want to make this clear so there's no misunderstanding. Right now your bodies are sitting. Yeah, they're doing things, but, but, but and this is an important part of it because this helps you to get ready to serve. But if all you do is sit here, that's not presenting your body. And notice it's a sack. Oh. Notice it's a, it's a hard word to get out. It's a sack. Pray for me. I can get this out somehow. It's a f- sacrifice. Well, we were doing worship. I was thinking back to um, David, King David, when he was uh, when he uh, uh, he had sinned because he had he'd taken a census of the people God didn't tell him to take, and, and God says to him, you know, well, here's you got some choices of what, what we can do here, and and, uh, and so he comes to offer a sacrifice to God. And so the, the owner of the, of, the, of the threshing floor says, you're the king. I mean, it, it's yours. You know, use it. Do what you want with it. Just, you're gonna, especially if you're going to perform a sacrifice to God. And David looks at him and says, no, I'm going to buy it from you. He says, I will not offer a sacrifice to God that doesn't cost me something. We don't like to talk much about costing us something. We want to talk about what God's going to give me. But what he gave you cost him everything, and me too. See, true worship involves some kind of cost. Because when I'm willing to give something up in order for his sake, then I'm saying he's worth more to me than what I'm giving up. So if it's a little bit of my time, I'm saying to him, Lord, you're worth more to me than being able to watch whatever it is, American Idol. That's an interesting term, isn't it? Because America is very idle in several ways. You're making a choice, an exchange, and saying, God, this has hurts me, this is costing me something, but I'm willing to give it up to serve you because you're worth more to me than what I'm giving up. Make a living sacrifice of your body which is holy and acceptable unto God and be and be transformed do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind what does it mean to renew your mind well it basically means to think the way God thinks isn't it interesting because when when the serpent came in and confronted her he tried to get her to think differently than the way God thinks. God's thinking was, I said it, 
do it. Kind of like with my children. And Satan's method is to get her to reason. And there's nothing wrong with reasoning. God gave us the ability to reason. But the purpose for our ability to reason is so we can take our ability to reason and figure out how to carry out what he told us to do. It's not to figure out whether we're going to do what he told us to do. And that's the temptation. It's to use the reasoning ability and all our mental faculties. We use it to decide whether we're going to do what he said to do instead of simply settling that issue and saying, I belong to you, so now I'm going to use this to, to figure out how best to carry out what you're telling me to do. Huge difference. All the difference, I was going to say, in the world, but it's all the difference in heaven too. And so that's what we're about. Now, what's happened is we're born again, God's nature. We have the power and the strength in us to obey Him. That's what Romans 6 talks about. Romans 6 says that you can obey God. You can do it. But it's hard, Pastor. I know it's hard. That's because we practice the other for so long. Your flesh wants to do what it wants to do until you make it do what you tell it to do. You understand that you are not your flesh. But with many of us, most of us, we've spent so much of our life listening to our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh, patting our flesh, pampering our flesh, loving our flesh, serving our flesh, that that's the only voice we really recognize anymore. And that's the part of us that's tied into this fallen world. And who's the God of this world? Satan is the God of this world. All the while, while it's living inside of us, a spirit man that's born of God with God's nature, who is in perfect communion with the Spirit of God, who also, by the way, is living in you and was specifically put in you to lead you into all truth that you would need to know, to empower you, to open your eye. We talked about that last week. One of his purposes is to search the depths of the hearts of God to find out what God has in plans for you and to reveal them to you. And then it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 in there, that he also searches the mind of God. He also searches your heart to communicate what you want to tell to God back to God. He's the perfect communicator that God has put inside of you. And yet we say, Pastor, I'm not hearing from God. I don't know what God's saying to me. The reason is we can't hear his voice. Because the voice we've been listening to for so long is so loud to us, it overshadows his voice. And then if you can get past the voice of your body, you deal with the thoughts of your mind. I don't know what you go through, but when I come here to worship sometimes, my mind goes all over the place. <laughs> I remember when I first decided to start getting up in the early, and I had to be where I was, when I was working, practicing law, I had to be, I had an hour drive to work and I had to be there by 8.30, so I would get up at 5 in the morning to pray. And I first started doing that, my mind would tell me you're going to die. You're going to die. If you get up that early, you're going to die. And then when that worked, my mind started to say, yeah, but when you get up that work, it's not going to do any good because you'll be so sleepy it won't do any good. The interesting thing is I'd sit in that chair, and now when i go to pray or read my Bible, my mind was extremely active on everything else but this. See, your mind will it'll lie to you. Your body will lie to you, especially when your mind's trying to fulfill what your body wants to do or doesn't want to do. 
And so we are in the process of maturing spiritually, which is in the process of gaining control of your flesh and gaining control of your mind. We're going to talk next, begin to talk next time about the process of renewing your mind. I'm going to teach you some things about renewing your mind. And the first thing you need to do to renew your mind is you've got to find out where it is. Well, we've been studying that. Where it is. I don't mean whether you left it at home or not. Because some of you, I don't think you know where your mind is. It's been a while since you found your mind or used it for a while. I don't mean that. And then I'm going to teach you how to get control of your mind. Some of you think that's impossible, that you can't do it. And that's why you're not doing it, because you think it's impossible. The only way, it's hard, but it's not impossible. Because in order for you to learn to be more sensitive to your spirit, you've got to learn to think, renew your mind, and think along the lines that God thinks. And here's why, and I'll end with this. Because your mind is the gateway into your spirit. Gate is what determines what gets in and what gets out. If you live, ever gone and visited someone in a gated community, we, a friend of our sons, youngest sons, had a, um, a, a house down in, in, in Florida and, and offered it to us. And so they emailed me the, you know, the, 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 the code to get in. And so I get to the door and I'm with this huge, beautiful facility, you know. So I put the code in, go in there. I go up to get to their section, and it's also gated. I didn't get the code to that one. So I got to track them down the phone. So there's two gates to get in. Before I can get in and enjoy that house, you've got to go through the gate because it determines who gets in. The gate also determines who gets out. And your mind does that for your spirit. When I was younger in the Lord, I really struggled with whether God loves me. And I've sat in services where the most powerful anointing preaching how much God loves us. And you know what? It didn't get down in. Why? Because my mind wouldn't accept it. If I tried to teach you something that was contrary to what you've been taught before, you won't accept it. It won't get in because your mind is like, up, 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 up. Or if you don't understand it, it won't get in. The other's true. The Spirit of God begins to prompt you to do something. I'm sure you've all had many, most of you had this experience. Prompts you to do something, yeah, and you know it's prompting you, and, and, and you have this moment to decide whether you're going to instantly obey or you're going to think about it. And the moment you decide to think about it, it goes from here to here. And once it goes from here, it's not going to happen. Because you'll start analyzing it, and the more you analyze it, the less in touch you are with that initial impression to do it. Why? Because this was an impression that came by the Holy Spirit into your spirit. And now you've taken an impression and you brought it up into a computer. And you're taking it apart because you're really deciding whether you're going to do it or not. And most of the time you'll talk yourself out of it. So what's happened? God's spoken to your spirit. Your spirit knows what to do. It begins to go up to your mind to tell you to act on it. But your mind insists, no, we're not so sure we want to do that. So it shuts it off here. So what we're, our goal of this study is to develop a greater awareness and sensitivity to our spirit and the spirit of God inside of us, but we can't get there and truly flow in that until we've learned to control this thing and get this thing to think in line with God's word. Because when the spirit of God tells you to do something, if, 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 if your mind is not renewed to this, it may balk 
at what the Spirit of God tells you to do. So in order to get to where we got to go, we're going to have to get into your brain, into your mind, and begin to teach you how to renew it.